Colossians chapter 2, and the Bible says, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Verse 8, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this passage. I thank you for the truth that you've laid on my heart. Lord, I know that uh, my, my feeble lips are not able. Lord, they're not capable of doing justice to a passage like this. And Lord, I ask that you would take uh, the frailty of, of this man and Lord, magnify it with your strength. I pray that today, um, Lord, we would see the importance, Lord, of not being deceived. The importance of staying by the stuff. And Heavenly Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would move in the hearts of these people. As Brother Ming prayed several minutes ago, if there is a person or if there are several people in this room who have never trusted Christ as their personal Savior, oh, that today would be the day of their salvation. And Lord, if there are Christians in this room, Lord, who need to have their hearts stirred and encouraged, I pray that you do so. And Lord, if there are those that need to be comforted, I ask that you'd work in that way. I ask that you'd have liberty and freedom among your people. In your son's name, amen. You may be seated. Colossians chapter 2, powerful, powerful words. Verse number 4, it says, this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. New Testament Christianity had the same problem that we do in the modern era of today. We like to have our ears tickled. And the Apostle Paul writes here to the church of Collis that they, they be careful, that they do not be deceived or tricked by those with enticing words. And verse number 8, he says more about it. He says, Beware lest any man spoil you through a philosophy and vain deceit. Now, just so you understand, philosophy is not a bad word. It's, it's negative when it's given in the connotation that it is here. Okay, through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. You see, there were those who were going to come into the church, the New Testament church, and seek to spoil it, as verse number 8 says, through the rudiments or the traditions of mankind and the traditions of the world. And what they were going to do is they were going to use enticing words, as verse 4 told us. Folks, you'll find this as you study church history, as you study history itself, that almost always when a movement begins, it has a focal point that is a man. And that man is generally blessed with the ability 
to speak well. Now, there's nothing wrong with speaking well. I think we all ought to be able to do it. And I think we ought to, 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 to pray and ask God to give us the ability to, to speak with wisdom and to speak with grace. But you'll find in every movement a man who is able to sway the multitudes with enticing words and through false philosophy of man. Today in religious circles, there is more confusion and deceit, I believe, than at any other time in the history of the world. There is more so-called denominationalism than at any other time. The problem with it is, is it is spoiled. It is spoiled because in many cases there is false philosophy and traditions of men. You see, man from the beginning has sought to impose his will on the worship of God. If you'll go all the way back with me to the beginning of mankind, if you go with me, and by the way, it did not start out in a sea somewhere, all right? It started out in the Garden of Eden. And it started with a man by the name of Adam, Adam and, a, and a lady by the name of Eve. They had two little boys after they were cast out of the Garden of Eden. They had a boy by the name of Cain and a boy by the name of Abel. Abel was a good boy. Abel bought into his parents' worship of God. But Cain had other ideas. Cain desired to have his own way of worship. He desired to get to God in some other manner. Adam and Eve had been taught in the Garden of Eden that to cover their sin they had to sacrifice an animal. That's what God did. And gave them the skins to cover their nakedness. Abel, as he grew, followed his parents' example. Cain walked away from what mom and dad taught him. And said, I have my own way. I have my own methods. I have my own idea. And what he did was he spoiled what God had taught us. You'll find as you read the Word of God, through the centuries that followed, many men followed the example of Cain. There were great leaders throughout the world, and many men followed their example. And they began to try to tell God how they would approach Him. And folks, we need to understand this this morning. You see, I'm, I'm not going to get into, into real deep doctrine today, all right? We don't have time for that. I don't want to do that. What I want to talk about today is an old-time Christianity. You see, we have gotten into our modern era of Christianity, so to speak. And I, I hate to term, use the term modern era and Christianity in the same sentence. But what we have done is we have people who have now told God, we will have our own churches, we'll have them the way we want, we'll do it in our own opinions, we'll run things according to our own feelings, and you, God, you'll not tell us how to do it. That's wrong, it's unbiblical. What we have is we have the false philosophies and traditions of men. You see, we have superimposed, and, and by the way, just so you understand, every one of us in our hearts, when we're born into this world, do you know what you believe in? God. 
you believe in God. You ask our Sunday school teachers who teach the little pre-K kids. You teach our Sunday school teachers who teach kindergarten and first and second and third grade. You don't ever have to argue with those young people about the existence of a God. In their hearts, they were given that by God himself. They know that. That is inherent in every single person who's ever been born on the face of the planet. We have that in us, that knowledge. What happens, though, as we grow is we want to superimpose our will on God's. Has anybody ever been guilty of doing that? Amen? I mean, I, we got four or five hands. You guys are terrible this morning. Hello? We're, we're still, yeah, you're in church, okay? Now, folks, what I want you to understand is, see, we have allowed the philosophies of man, our own ideas at times, to guide us. The problem with it is, is sometimes we have organized and we have developed into groups and denominations and we have told God this is how we will approach you this is our religion the problem with it is is that it's an old-time Christianity that's the problem and we've pulled in rudiments of mankind and we've pulled in traditions of the world time is so, so, so short this morning, but, but I, there's so much I want to say, and, and stick with me, all right? It'll get good in a minute. If you study history, 313 A.D., what, does that date have any significance? It's not your wife's birthday, guys. All right? Constantine united with the underground church of the day, so to speak. You see, until that time, Christianity had been forced underground. If you'll, if you'll read uh, uh, early Christian history, you'll find that there were stories of the Christians living in the catacombs, living in the tombs, hiding out and, and fleeing from village to village, seeking asylum, seeking freedom to worship. And, 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 and you'll find that all over the empire, well, it came to the point where Constantine saw these people were moral and they were good and they, 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 they believed in authority and they, 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 they reverenced God and they reverenced men who God had put in charge and, and had a good spirit and had a good attitude and they went to their deaths praising God and thanking God and, and loving their captors. He came to a point and he realized he was smart enough to say these people are people I want in my kingdom. <laughs> I got enough problems. I got enough weasels. I got enough people who are stabbing me in the back that are so to speak for me. He said what I'm going to do is he said I'm going to take organized political system and unite it with the organized church system many of the church folk said man it's I'm sick and tired of being hunted and so to speak they shook hands with the emperor what he did though he was a politician okay and politicians back then had the same problem politicians have today they want to make everybody happy See, God's not a politician, just so you understand. See, God never tells you it's okay to do whatever you want. God says there's right and there's wrong, and we'll mention that in a moment. But God isn't into politics. God's into to, to, to absolutes. But Constantine said, I want to make everybody happy. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take Christianity, which is good and moral and upright, but he said, i got to make these pagans, these people who, who worship their false idols and their false gods and their foolishness, but he said, i got to make them happy too. So he incorporated a whole bunch of pagan rituals, and he said, now we'll have this in Christianity too. 
See, well, well you can be happy because now you don't, get, you don't get killed anymore for being a Christian, and you can be happy because, well, you're just not intelligent enough to, to really worship God. And, and, but but he, he, he united the whole system. Well, most people bought into it. There were a good number of Christians who continued to stay underground and, and continued not to unite with that. But what happened is Constantine organized a formal religion, the Holy Roman Catholic Church. I'm not into church bashing, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this this morning, but, but we need to understand what happened here. See, it started with Christianity and paganism, and he mixed the two. You move forward in time, and folks, all of a sudden, you don't know what heads is and tails is. Because there are now pagan rituals that we call Christian. No, they're not. I went to a funeral here about a year ago. Funeral for a relative of mine. And folks, honest to God, I watched my little boy. He sat in the front row with my parents. And, 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 and as, as the priest came by and the priest waved this incense, and some of you have been to those, those funerals and you've seen that, my son literally crawled over his grandmother trying to get away from it. Just freaked him out. That's not a Christian ritual. It's not taught in the Bible. It's a pagan ritual that was introduced to Christianity, and because we all wanted to be friends, we went along with it. And we didn't want to fight anymore, and we didn't want to hide anymore, and we didn't want to worship God according to the Bible. So we said, well, we'll put up with some of that, and all of a sudden we got this organized chaos that we have today. We need to get back to old-time Christianity. Now, I want to say first, I'm going to give you three things this morning. Number one, old-time Christianity was based on the book. Old-time Christianity was based on the book. Uh, I sing a song every once in a while with the kids downstairs in junior church. Holy Bible, book divine, you're the one for me. I know what the right one is. It's the KJV. Holy Bible, book divine, you're the one for me. And, and we sing that, and we get that. And young people, uh, young people, old people, everybody, what we got to understand today is that we have to base our religion, if you want to call it that, we have to base our Christianity on the book. Not on what so-and-so says, or not on what this religious leader says, or not what this reformer said, what the Bible says. You see, when it comes to all matters of the church, they are to be established here. When it comes to matters of faith and practice, they should be established on the Bible. When it comes to doctrinal issues, it should be established by the book. Why are there so many religions today? I'll tell you why there's so many religions today. They're not basing themselves on the book. Because if they were basing themselves on the book, we would have, is it in the book of Ephesians where it says there's one faith? We're not basing it on the Bible. You say, well, 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 you know, we have differences. Yes, we have differences. But folks, let me say this. If we're basing everything we do on the book, we don't. That Bible eliminates differences. That Bible is very, very plain. If you take your Bible to 1 Timothy with me real quick. And folks, this is a sermon slash Bible study. And we're going to get to the sermon in a minute. And I mean that. I do. But this is so necessary that we understand what's going on here. First Timothy chapter 2, verse number 5. It says there is one God and one mediator 
between God and men. The man, who is it? Is it the Pope? Is it Mary? Is it the priest? Who is it? Christ Jesus. So who do we go to to get to God? Christ Jesus. See, now, folks, I'm going to say this this morning. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be harsh. What I'm trying to be is honest. Because old-time Christianity stood on the book. And the book says there's one way to get to God. His name is Jesus Christ. Folks, do you know that you never have to confess your sins to another man? To have them forgiven. The Bible teaches us to confess our faults one to another and, and have each other pray for one another. But it never says for me to go to Tim and, and say, Tim, would you, would you please forgive my sin? Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned and all that hogwash. That's not biblical. You see, you don't go to a man. You go to God through Christ Jesus. He is one mediator. And folks, people say, well, well, that's your religion. No, that's not my religion. That is Christianity. It's based on a book. And the book says there's one way to God, Christ Jesus. And we have people today that say, well, well, we just don't believe that way. Then you don't believe in Christianity. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to be crossways today. I'm not mad at anybody. But what I'm fearful of is that we are uniting and saying, well, everything is good. No, everything is not good. The Bible says this, this world is full of wickedness. He teaches us that our own hearts are dece deceitful beyond all comprehension. See, the Bible says one meteor. Go, just turn your page. 1 Timothy chapter 4. I had a couple people talk to me about this this week, well-meaning folks, and ask me some questions. Chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, directly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. This sounds like a mess, doesn't it? Okay, the last times there's going to be a bunch of people who depart from the faith, and they're going to depart. Why? Look at what it says. Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Okay, we're talking some pretty scary stuff. Am I right? Okay, verse 2, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Verse 3, this is what they're going to do. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving. Folks, I was asked several times this week by well-meaning folks, who young Christians, and they asked me, Pastor, do we practice Lent? I said, what does the Bible have to say about it? Well, we don't know, Pastor, that's why we're asking you. And they, Sweet folks, good question. Wasn't mad at them. Good, you want to ask good questions. Folks, you know what the Bible teaches about Lent? Well, what is Lent? What do, you, what do you give up during Lent? All the good things, amen. No, no, a lot of people, they give up their, you know, that's why we have all those great fr uh, Friday night fish fries, right? Yeah, we, we, I mean, you, we're a Catholic community, all right? And you go, you mean, every restaurant has fish on Friday nights. Why? Because of Lent. They're giving things up. But my Bible says that a doctrine of devils is to forbid that. It also tells us that a doctrine of devils is to forbid to marry. Folks, let me say this. The Apostle Paul said it's better to marry than to burn. He said if you have a desire in your heart to marry, then get married to someone. Now make sure they're willing, amen? But marry someone. 
He said, do that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how God created you. That's a perfectly normal thing. And we have religions today who say, no, 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 you can't get married. You have to vow a vow of celibacy. Anybody read the papers? I was just reading uh, on the internet last night. The, 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 the Pope in his diocese had a problem, not himself personally, but with several priests under him who were molesting kids. And they're looking into how he handled it. Folks, I'll tell you this right now. Part of that they created on their own because they said, I'm sorry, you can't get married. You can't do that. And so they got perverted and they twisted their mind. They did things they weren't supposed to. But that's called a doctrine of devils, forbidding to marry and abstaining from meats. God said no. He said, you don't do that. He said, I gave that to you and you're supposed to be thankful for it. See, folks, if we get back to old time Christianity, we based it on the book. We didn't base it on mankind's traditions. We based it on the book. And this morning, I beg you to realize I'm not mad at anyone. I'm not after anyone. But we've got to get back to a place in our Christian lives where this book is the sole authority. You see, years ago, there was a time when Christianity did have some unity. Do you know that many of the famous preachers I'll mention were not Baptists? How many of you knew D.L. Moody was not a Baptist? Anybody know what he was? I think he was a Congregationalist, am I right? How many know what Billy Sunday was? He wasn't a Baptist, he was a Presbyterian. He, he wasn't a Baptist, he could have, he, he preached it, but, but folks, what, see what happened is back then, at, for the most part, we were basing not on everything, but on many things, this was our authority. We had old-time Christianity. We believed this above all else. You see, when we had a difference, we said, let's go to the Bible and let's hash it out. Let's see what the Bible says. And that's why back then, Methodists, do you know who started the Methodists? I love that guy. John Wesley, man. That guy's unbelievable. I mean, you read about his life. That fellow was on fire for God. I mean, you go back and you study these fellows. And, folks, I love them because they stood on that book. They weren't so worried about the name attached to the name God gave them or their parents gave them when they came to this world. They weren't worried about Methodists or Presbyterian or Congregationalists. They were worried about that book. And they preached that book and they preached it unashamedly. And there, at one time in our country we had some unity and we had some people who were able to get along with one another. Why? Because the book was the source. The book was the key. Secondly, old-time Christianity preached against sin. And named it. I love reading Billy Sunday's sermons. I've read his life story a couple different times by a couple different authors. But I love reading his messages. If he were to preach in pulpits today, he would literally be tarred and feathered and never asked to return. I mean, folks, you, during a message, if he thought you were not for him, and I mean this, if he looked out and he said, Brother Leopard, what's your problem? I mean, he'd go off. He'd spend the next five minutes berating someone for not agreeing with what he said. It was great. It's every preacher's dream. But, I mean, he did it. Now, he was an evangelist. You know, he blew up or blew into town and blew, I blew up and then blew out of town. But, but, I mean, he preached it. And he preached it down the line. Folks, why do you think bars and taverns shut down when Billy Sunday came to town? Do you think it was just because he had such an incredible message? No, I mean, he preached on drunkenness. And he told you, if you had drunkenness in your house, you were nothing but a low-down, dirty murderer. 
And he would call it as black and vile and wicked a sin as could ever be imagined. And he went after that sin. And he went after it. And he went after it. And he went after it. He's one of the chief reasons America had prohibition for several years. Because he went after sin. He didn't say, well, folks, yeah, yeah, in your lives, you need to stop your sin. See, the problem with me is if you tell me that, I'll tell you, I really don't have anything I need to stop. Because I'm a pretty good guy. Right? Does anybody else not think that about themselves? I mean, every once in a while, the Lord gets a hold of you, but usually we're able to persuade the Lord that we're doing pretty well until we start naming the sin. You see, old-time Christianity preached against sin and named it. It preached that men were supposed to be men and ladies were to be ladies. And by the way, it also preached that men were to marry the ladies. I hope you get that. You see, folks, we, we don't need to call a meeting to discuss whether homosexuality is allowable or not. It's not. We, we have churches in our area, by the way, after, after the big convention last August up in Minneapolis, who had little, little meetings to discuss how they were going to incorporate homosexuals into their church. By the way, any person that practices that sin is welcome to sit in our pews and listen to the message. They're not welcome to serve and stand behind the pulpit and preach. There's a difference. Right? The Bible says that the man of God is to be holy and blameless. It doesn't say perfect, all right? Don't hold me to that. But blameless. Well, folks, I'm sorry. That's not, that's not biblical. The Bible says that is a sin. God calls that an abomination unto him. And yet we have de denominations today who say, well, well, we need to love them. I never said don't love them. Man, folks, I'm sorry, but I love those people. I want to see them get saved and get born again and get their lives right with God. And by the way, I want that for anybody who deals with sin. <laughs> I've had people in our community say, well, you just don't like them. No, 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 no. See, I preach against lying. You know the reason that liars don't like it? Because they're doing it. Or they're for it. You ever been convicted by the Holy Spirit? Do you know why you're convicted? Because <laughs> you don't have a right heart condition towards it. And folks, we've got to understand today that sin is sin and wrong is wrong and black and black is black. And God made it that way and God set it up that way. And God loves people more than anybody on the sick old earth could ever hope to love them. And I get weary of people saying, well, well, you don't love them. No, God loves them. God gave his son for them. And I'm trying to get the gospel to them. That's what I'm trying to do. But folks, by doing that, we can't cease to call sin, sin. You see, there has to be a standard. There has to be a right, because if there's no right, we can believe anything we want. No, you can't. You can't say, well, I have no sin, and I'll come to God anyway. That doesn't work that way. You come to God as a repentant sinner, and you ask Him to allow you to take His Son as your personal Savior. You see, and by, why, why am I on it? Folks, just so you understand... A person who is a practicing homosexual or has homosexual tendencies, they weren't born that way. Every time, now science claims that, social, the social agenda of today claims that. They've never been able to prove that. And I've read up on that. They cannot prove that. It's, it's, it's like evolution with the missing link. They've been looking for him for 200 years. He hasn't showed up yet. And it's the same thing with this so-called argument with our social agenda of today. Well, they're born that way. No, they're not born that way. They're, they're, as the twig is bent, so grows the tree. 
when you teach kids in kindergarten and first grade that, that, that it's okay to, to, be, to be morally disgusting, you know what? Some of them buy it. They do. And yet you look at what is happening to our country and we, we pretend like we don't have any idea. And people say, oh, you're narrow-minded. No, I'm calling a spade a spade. You see, it's, it's that old story of the emperor's new clothes. How many know that story? The emperor, you know, he, he, he wants a new outfit and the tailor doesn't know exactly how to do it. And what the tailor ends up doing, long story short, is he ends up making nothing. And so the emperor is naked. And the, the tailor says, oh, emperor, emperor, you look great. And the emperor is as vain as the tailor. And he says, oh, I do. I, it's incredible. It's fantastic. And he goes out and the people of his kingdom are intimidated and they're fearful. And they say, oh, emperor, your, your new clothes are beautiful. They're wonderful. They're incredible. And some little kid finally shouts out. He says, sir, you have no clothes on. And he bursts the bubble. Folks, see, our world says you can do anything you want. You can live any way you want. You can go to any church you want. You can listen to any message you want. You can do anything you want. It's your choice. It's you. It's you. It's you. God needs some people who will stand up and burst some bubbles and say, no, I'm sorry. You can't do that. It's, you can't do that and expect God's blessing. You can't do that and expect God to use you. You can't do that and expect God to allow it. God doesn't do that. See, the old-time Christianity preached against sin and named it. Folks, we've got to understand this. We've got to get a hold of it. Now, I'm not, by the way, I'm not telling you to go out today and, and, and tell every person in the world they're wrong and why they're wrong. You should never go after anyone personally. You just name sin. Sin. A lie is a lie. By the way, you, you know that lying condemns a man to hell? It does. Read Revelation. See, folks, we, we, we've, we've ceased. We're, we're afraid. We're nervous. We say, well, 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 so-and-so, so-and-so, it might bother someone. But, folks, we need to preach against sin. See, old-time Christianity did. By the way, let me share this with you. Do you know why they're taking the Ten Commandments out of all the courtrooms in, 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 the, in the country? Anybody know? Because it create, creates a hostile work environment for all the lawyers and judges. You get that? I'll explain it to you later. That was a joke, all right? You guys can smile. You guys can laugh. But, folks, the old-time Christianity thundered against sin. See, they said, be ye holy, for I am holy. Today we have churches who have resorted, and, and, and forgive me, all, but, but, I mean, some of the stuff that they're doing, there's, there's a man out on the West Coast who's very well-known, very popular preacher, very big church. He's well-known for using vulgarity during his sermons. He'll curse from the pulpit. And he says, well, the people like it. It's what they're used to. It's the common day language. No, it's wrong. It's sin. It's not what God set up. We have churches that have resorted to having these, these, these seminars and these programs that are absolutely disgusting. One, I won't even go into it because of time and because of young people in the auditorium, but it's literally disgusting what our churches today are trying to do to get people to come in the doors. See, our churches are trying to say, oh, we're just like you, we're just like you, we're just like you. Now, folks, let me help you understand something. We want everybody to come to our church, and we'll take anybody just as they are. But we want to point them to someone who's perfect. 
We want to point him to a Savior. We want to point him to a God. We want to point him to him and say, you know what? If you want fellowship with him, you're going to have to let some of those wicked things go. You're going to have to turn your back on that lifestyle. And you're going to have to walk towards him in the light as he is light. We need to preach against alcohol. We need to preach against pornography. We need to preach on training your kids to serve God. We need to preach on loving your neighbor. We need to preach what the Bible tells us to preach. And we need to do it unashamedly. Old-time Christianity did. Number three, old-time Christianity preached Christ. You see, it didn't preach on how to farm. It preached on Christ. It didn't preach on how to rotate your crops. It preached on Christ. It didn't preach on political issues. They preached on Christ. They preached a Jesus who bridged the gap from hell to heaven. And if he was ignored, they'd be cast into hell for all time. You see, these old men of the faith, they weren't concerned with legacies. They were concerned with Christ. They weren't concerned with monuments to their achievements. They were concerned with Christ. They weren't concerned about the effigies. They were concerned with Christ. They weren't concerned about the Colosseums they built that were left in their name. They were concerned with Christ. Reading in the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul was imprisoned. He was in jail. And he came to a place in his life where he was behind bars. And he writes the people, it's Philippians, and he says, I'm thankful that Christ is preached through me. He said, some preach Christ of contention, but they preach Christ. He said, some preach Christ of strife, but they preach Christ. He said, I'm not worried about who remembers me. I'm worried about who knows him. See, there were some people going around and said, well, well, Paul, he was too bold and he was too arrogant. And because of that, he's been thrown into jail and he deserved it. And then they preached the gospel and Paul said, that's fine with me. He said, I don't care what it takes. Preach Christ. Preach Christ. He said, it doesn't matter what the world thinks of me. He said, I count it all but lost. Preach Christ. And my friend this morning, old time Christianity preached Christ. It preached Christ the Redeemer. You know, I went to Bible college. I learned more big words than I can actually say. You know, we have the doctrine of eschatology. Huh? Is that salvation, sir? Yes, son, it is. But we call it eschatology. And you got all these huge words. Any ever read those doctrinal books? And about halfway through the chapter, they finally tell you what it's all about. <laughs> I, I had to read those. Some of those were for the doctrinal books. And by the time you got done, you're just... I mean, once you spelled the word right, you felt like you'd accomplished something. But we need to preach Christ the Savior. See, there's too many theologians out there today. There's a beautiful little gospel track. It's called The Simple Plan of Salvation. It's not the only one I use, but I like to use that one. Do you know why? Because salvation is simple. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. Do you know that little kids can get saved? I mean, honestly, those six, seven, eight-year-olds down in junior church today, if God touches their heart about their sin as the preacher preaches, and they raise their hand, and they're shown the plan of salvation from the Bible, and they bow their head, and they pray, and they say, Lord Jesus, would you come into my life and be my Savior? Do you know that they're saved? Little six-year-old kid. Oh, oh, but, but, but they don't understand everything in the Bible. Do you? I mean, really, let's be, let's be frank today. I mean, unless you dig... Unless God died and gave you the keys, you don't understand it all. I'm just being honest, folks. Now, I think we ought to learn, and I think doctrine is important. 
But, you know, we, we have these, you know, pastor so-and-so, and he's got a DD and an MD and an HD and a, all those initials behind his name because he's learned. Do you know what the highest title in Christianity is? Brother. <laughs> it's a servant, Tim. That's the greatest of all. But if somebody calls me Brother Dahl, do you know that's the highest title a Christian can ask for? It is. See, Jesus said, he said one day, he said, you'll be my friends. You'll be Brother Peter and Brother Andrew and Brother James and Brother John. That's the highest title. It's not doctor or reverend or, come on, folks. Seriously, if you're, if you're living because of a title you got in front of your name or behind your name, you're pretty shallow. And I see a lot of Christians today are like that. we got all these theologians who say, well, well, look at me. I can answer any question. Okay, how many people have you talked to about the Lord Jesus Christ lately? See, the old-time Christians, they just preached Christ. See, I'm all for doctrine, but let's get excited about Jesus once again. See, the old-time religion, it preached Jesus. That was what they went after. They, they, they didn't mince words. They didn't tickle ears. They weren't into enticing men. You read the stories of some of these guys, man. They got Literally, they got asked never to come back to town again. Read the New Testament, the life of the Apostle Paul. Folks, do you know what Paul did? Paul would go to a village, and Paul would preach and preach and preach, and he'd start, he'd get a couple converts, and a couple people would trust Christ, and maybe it'd be a couple families, and then all of a sudden maybe there'd be 50 people or 100 people or 200 people, and Paul would start a church, and Paul would keep preaching and keep preaching. All of a sudden, the other people in town get mad, and they'd get everybody riled up, and they'd say, get that dirty, rotten preacher out of here. And they'd ride Paul. You know what Paul would do? He'd run right to the next little town and he'd do the same thing and the same thing and the same thing and the same thing. That's what a bunch of these old-time Christians did. Man, you read about John Wesley and George Whitfield. You know what they did? They started a whole pile of churches. And you know how they did it? By preaching Christ. By preaching Christ. You say, oh, pastor, we have to have, we have to have everything perfect today. No, you don't have to have everything perfect. I think you should strive to be as correct and as doctrinal as possible, and I believe in that, I practice that. But let me say this. Folks, do you know what it takes to lead someone else to the Lord? You sharing what happened to you. What if I don't know all the verses? Folks, I've been saved 25 years. I don't know all the verses. I know a lot, but I don't know them all. I'm asked questions every week that I have to say, I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> but I can tell people what happened in my life. I can preach Christ. That's, that's, that's what we need to do. And folks, this morning, I would encourage you. See, let's not get caught up in the rudiments of men. You say, oh, but, but, but it's beautiful, it's ornate. Of course it is. I'm asking you, is it based on the book? I'm asking you, is, does it preach against sin? I'm asking you, does it preach Christ and Christ crucified, Christ buried, and Christ risen? See, folks, this morning, we've got we to take a step back, and we've got to place both feet on that Bible. And we've got to believe it, and we've got to live it. This morning, let me say this to you. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, would today be the day of your salvation? Would you let that happen? And Christian, if you're here, I want to encourage you. I really do. Take a step back into the past. 
where we believed in old-time Christianity. Where we believed what the book said. Where we called sin, sin, not to be hurtful, not to be vengeful, to be right with God. And where we preached Christ. If you read that, go home today and read Colossians 2. Read verses 5, 6, and 7. The whole thought is to be established and founded and sure in Him. That's what Paul said. He said, beware. They're going to try to pull you away from Jesus. Beware. They're going to spoil you. This morning, folks, let me encourage you. If the Lord's laid something on your heart, in a few moments we're going to have an invitation. Let's go and stand to our feet. But I would encourage you, let God touch your heart. Let God work in your life. You say, Pastor, sometimes, sometimes it's hard to take a stand. It's a whole other sermon. But folks, stand for Christ. With heads bowed and eyes closed, as the instruments begin to play, if the Lord's laid something on your heart, I'd encourage you to come down to the altar. Well, folks, praise the Lord. Thank you for being patient this morning. Build your life on the book. You'll never go wrong. Let's be dismissed with a word of prayer. Brother Mike Dahl, can you dismiss us?